Hello, friends. This is Dr. Benjamin Smith, lecturer in philosophy with Catholic Studies Academy. Welcome to Take Every Thought Captive, where we explore the 2,000-year-old Catholic intellectual tradition. Today, I'm joined uh, by my friends and colleagues, Dr. Richard Bozzichelli, Mr. Joseph Grossheim, um, to talk about recent remarks made by uh, His Holiness Pope Francis. Uh, these remarks were made in a general audience and touched on issues uh, that have to do with uh, globalism, uh, nationalism, the relationship between nations, um, probably issues like immigration, uh, I would think. Um, and this has you know, sparked uh, some discussions among uh, Catholic uh, intellectuals uh, and other um, you know, uh, philosophers uh, and commentators. So today we're going to uh, discuss those remarks and, uh, you know, in discussing those remarks, you know, try to understand more clearly what Pope Francis has in mind, and then also kind of address the broader issues from a theological and philosophical perspective. But before we get going, uh, let's remember, uh, as Dr. Bulzakelli likes to say, the basics. Uh, remember to subscribe uh, to um, uh, this podcast if you haven't done so already. Uh, be sure to like uh, and share this content with others. So let's go ahead and get started. Dr. Bulzakelli, uh, we'll start with you. What were your initial sort of reactions, responses, uh, thoughts uh, with respect to Pope Francis's uh, remarks? Perhaps you should give us a little bit of the, the context uh, uh, of these yeah. uh, remarks. Sure. So, um, you know, Francis um, took a trip to Hungary. And um, while he was there, he talked about um, nationalist populism right um and but he also had some criticisms for um what we would probably call globalism right that's the term that's being bandied about um in sort of american um conservative circles today right we talk about globalism so what did francis actually have to say well he's often very critical of of nationalist populism, right? When he when he uses that kind of uh, terminology, he's identifying in his mind. I think he's identifying something sort of um, something sort of enclosed and xenophobic, um, isolationist, and um, and maybe uh, sort of ethnocentric, right? Mm -hmm. um, he's he's criticizing a self-interestedness of nations where they might, um, they might pursue their own good irrespective of the concerns of um, other, other people, uh, other countries, um, mm -hmm. other races. Right. And, uh, and even at their expense, okay. I think that's what he has in mind now. Um, so it's important when you have this discussion, right, to um, do what they did in the Middle Ages and draw distinctions. Sure. Right. So um, terms can be used in many ways. And I'm just saying that when I hear Francis use terminology like nationalist populism, I think that's what he means. Okay. Um, I don't think that's how the term is used universally. Um and so I think sometimes we find ourselves talking about different things. So okay. when he when he talked about globalism, right, by contrast, um, he he was very supportive of international 
treaty organizations. He seems to think those kinds of things are a good idea. He's very pro-European Union. Um, and um, for example, right, and I would say he's probably pro-NATO and 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 pro um I mean, you know, all those all those different uh, United Nations, right? All those different things. I get the impression he thinks that's a great um that's a great basis for international relations. But on the other hand, he was openly critical of what he called um, ideological colonization. And um, he's used that term many times. And what's interesting is that those in the United States and in parts of Europe today who would identify themselves as nationalist populists often criticize globalism for the very same reasons. They criticize those organizations for um, for kind of um, homogenizing everything mm-hmm. and um, and working against the concerns of uh, individuals, right? Working right. against the concerns of local populations, people's mm-hmm. cultures. Um, right. mm-hmm. and, um, and finally, importing all sorts of debauchery like like um, pornography and gender theory and um, and abortion, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? So all those things that um, American self-identifying nationalist populists and say um, Norwegian self-identifying nationalist populists and Italian self-identifying nationalist populists would criticize the United Nations, NATO, and 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 uh, and those sorts of organizations for. Um, those are the same things Francis criticizes them for. Okay. And so what it, it seems yeah, to me yeah. is we've got a very interesting, um, we've got an interesting thing here going on, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's There are points of agreement, even in the middle of criticism. And one wonders, is what's being criticized, um, are, are, are we, well, I think the first thing is to understand that we're using terminology very differently. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sure. I think that's that's useful. So we just sort of maybe restate the way you've uh, seemed to set this up, which seems to me correct. Basically, you know, Pope Francis criticizes a version of natural nationalist populism, um, but also certain ideological trends, uh, certain glo- what you might call globalist trends, mm-hmm. um, in a way that's similar to what lots of national populist people say, right? right? So even even though he's criticizing that group, uh, I'm just going to say populist, just to keep it shorter, populists tend to uh, share his criticisms of the other side. Right. Um, now, uh, and then you've made an important point that maybe we need to be distinguished between um, what Fran- Pope Francis means by nationalist populist and maybe... Uh, the reality of each group or the, you know, know, populism as a whole. Yeah. um, That sort of thing. Um, Perhaps the way you described it, uh, uh, as you were describing it, Rich, it struck me that um, the maybe negative version, uh, deficient version of nationalism that he's uh, criticizing sounded a lot like egocentrism, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, To me, like if you're like thinking contemporary ethical theory, uh, you might Scott, you know, call it egocentrism or something like that, but at a national sort of scale. Is that is that about the the way you're you're setting this up? You see, yeah, I would say so. 
So, um, you know, I, I guess what he has in mind is something more similar to, um, you know, to sort of uh, fascism, right? Mm-hmm. Um, something more similar to what you would have seen in, in Italy or Germany during the Second World War. Um, and, I mean, I would criticize that too, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Some sort of an aggressive nationalism, maybe. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, right. And it may not have imperialist tendencies, right? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, in, if, if my understanding of um, Hitler's agenda during the Second World War was correct, right? His idea was, yeah, I mean, German culture is just like the best. So um, we need more room because we just need to make lots of Germans. And we're going to, we just can't afford to have these people near us who are of a different and inferior culture so we'll just take over that land i think that was really the motivation for his imperial if i if i understand it correctly but um but you know one could imagine a, a fascism that doesn't sort of involve any kind of imperialist tendencies but it's just it's they're fine being isolationist um and totally self-interested they'll do what they want to do in their own region mm-hmm. um and I think Francis would be just as critical of that, that's like, right? That's like, um, right. even if it's not aggressive toward other nations, but it would be you. sort of callous toward their interests. Because it, maybe because it's insularity or something like that. Right, or, right. Uh, or indifference uh, to others. Yeah. Joe, do uh, you want to jump in here? Do you have any official thoughts here? Um, yeah, a few, a few thoughts. Um, I, I think it would be helpful to try to lay out very clearly um, what goods and what evils we're seeing attached to uh, national populism or even this sort of isolationist fascism that you're, that you're talking about now, Dr. Bozzichelli, and then what goods and what evils we want to attach to globalism and then maybe uh, try to identify what exactly Pope Francis is connecting with each of these. Right. Um, so I think that, I think that would be a really helpful direction to go here. And, and then I had a, a question on the, the isolationist fascism versus the more, uh, ego asserting fascism here is, uh, we, you're talking about a fascism that's not interested in sort of spreading itself. Are you taking that as something, uh, like, um, it just happens to be the case that what's, uh, this this self-asserting fascism just doesn't have the need to expand right now, and so it's not. Or are you envisioning some sort of isolationist fascism that actually uh, revolts against the idea of expanding outside of its territory and sort of asserting its imperium? Over- yeah, well, let's address the second one, the second yeah. question you have first. Um, I mean, I'm pure, I'm I'm hypothesizing here, right? But right. I. I do see sort of a distinction between what was going on with Germany where he was going around and conquering other countries, right? Um, Versus what, you know, alternatives to that, where you don't necessarily see that sort of aggression toward other countries. I I do think it's sort of paroxidans. And the reason is that if you have a totally self-interested populace, um, 
and they get to the point where they feel like they just need more resources than they right. have um, geographically or otherwise, then they will become aggressive. Right. I think that the difference isn't that is, true. Right? Isn't that kind of true, though, of almost any nation state? I mean, we, we there's this myth out there, right, that democracies are more peaceful. Right. And yeah. the democracies don't get into wars and things like that. But actually, like historically, empirically, that's, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty right. highly false. I think yeah. the difference might be uh, a democracy backed into a corner would not even out. close to just backed in a corner, though. I mean, historically, right. Uh, you know, there's wars that the United States has engaged yeah. in that didn't involve being backed into a corner. Um, well, I mean, let me oppose that to uh, wouldn't it just be better if we just conquered our neighbors? Like, you're not you're not in any sort of need to. You're not really suffering. You're, they're not posing any sort of threat to you. Mm. Um, like Egypt uh, invading Ethiopia or something. I mm-hmm. doesn't seem as uh, sure closely related to yeah some problem that italy had you know what i mean yeah i mean there's a lot of i mean if you start looking at the history of colonialism though i mean i don't know yeah maybe they they were like oh we're behind right yeah but france is going to criticize those tendencies too right sure sure but i'm just saying as far as the regimes go they might have been democratic and quite happy to invade the philippines massacre people there um you know that sort of thing uh, as we did Right. Occupy it for long periods of times, colonize it and exploit it. Um, so I'm mean, just saying, yeah. you know. Yeah. But perhaps from a, there's a base motive that's, that's different in terms of um, sort of identity. No, I mean, as far as acquisition of resources. Yeah, that's the same. <laughs> but the assertion of, of an ethnicity, <laughs> uh, I guess, is sort of different. Mm. But, um, but maybe that's a trivial difference, right? Maybe that's not sort of important. Um, in any case, though, to answer Joe's question, mm-hmm. I think the reason that Group X is not attacking, uh, is not sort of engaged in imperialism is because they don't see the, it's just not in their interest to do it mm-hmm. at yeah. the moment, right? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, and so what was the first part of your question, though, Joe? I the first part was about goods and evils attached right, to, evils. yeah. Yeah, so here I'd say, I, I want to return to this idea that um, I'm personally, I'm convinced that there are two different creatures here, that there's nationalist populism as understood by someone like, um, you know, Steve Turley, a very popular commentator mm-hmm. uh, and nationalist populism as understood by Pope Francis and many others. These are mm-hmm. not the same animals. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm convinced they aren't the same thing. Yeah, uh, And I think that that's part of the grief that we have right now in terms of trying to have any sort of intelligent dialogue within Catholicism. Sure, sure, sure. Right, about, about politics. So um, Yeah, the terminology the, gets slippery and then a lot of equivocations happening. And, right. Yeah, then, then our debates run amok. <laughs> right, right. And I, I think we're facing this. Mm-hmm. So um, the goods and evils that attach to these things, right? Well, Francis was, I think, in his trip to Hungary, uh, where he was dealing with um, actually what appears to be sort of a nationalist populist political arrangement. Um, He extolled the um, traditions of Hungary, right? Sure. They they do have a strong national identity. 
they have a long history um they've got um they've got a not exclusively catholic society but uh i would say the catholics are what the plurality of the population Mm -hmm. um and orthodox are also widely represented so you've got a pretty strong sort of christian foundation of hungary although it suffered tremendously during the soviet period uh and um but it's been kind of there have been moves being made to recover its christian foundations and policies put in place now this is very interesting because i think this goes against what people think francis thinks uh but if i understand francis correctly i think he Mm -hmm. thinks this is good that they have instituted um tax structures and various uh incentives right that protect the traditional family structure that encourage the birth of children Mm -hmm. um and That'd be sound like good Catholic with. social teaching, right? What's that? That'd be sound like good Catholic social teaching. Well, so. it does. It does, right? Yeah. Um, so, in fact, I would say that what they're doing is something similar to what people like G.K. Chesterton and Hilaire Belloc um, would have wanted to see done, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the um, distributism mm-hmm. idea where you create you create a tax structure, uh, a, a structure of um, economic policy within the country that since it can never actually be completely neutral, sure. Um, favors, favors the um, concentration of productive property into the hands of, um, into the hands of nuclear families. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think, um, I think Hungary is kind of trending in that, in that direction. What would you say are the 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 uh, the goods of the other side of that equation? So the goods of say globalism. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, the goods of globalism would be um, would be structures put in place that at least hypothetically. Okay. So let's not, you know, whether it works or not is a separate question. Sure. Okay. But in at principle. least the principled ideas. Right. Structures are put in place that. Um, that mitigate against international conflict that, that that they you you already have a structure within which conflicts between nations can be resolved that nations mm-hmm. can work cooperatively rather than um adversarially that i think is the theory sure and so you've got the possibility of dealing with crises that of their very nature are not isolated within the boundaries of a particular country. Mm-hmm. Um, and for Francis, right, he would include here, you know, climate change. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, he's big on that. Whether or not you agree, right, that that's a crisis, mm-hmm. um, he does. He has that view. Sure. Uh, and so, um, you know, th- that would be one example, right? So we and, could summarize that maybe by saying like, peace and cooperation and combating various large-scale evils yes right. and and you know hopefully mitigating against war as yeah. um you know as a solution to your problems it seems to me that the issue of war uh you know as you're starting to you know as you sort of kind of delve into this and develop further right but relations between states uh-huh. nations right you know 
there are just like at the level of individuals, there are goods that depend on cooperation, right? right. There are goods that at least are advanced or uh, um, um, increased through cooperation. So you think about international trade mm-hmm. that can be controversial, but we'll say at least in some cases, some trade is helpful, right? Yeah. Um, and then uh, also peace, right? Uh, right. Being uh, paramount, right? When we think about nation states, almost kind of like in the way we think about individuals, right? You know, you think about at a very baseline, we want to not kill each other. <laughs> right. right. We want right. It's a good first step. <laughs> so, you know, uh, a homicide. And and so sort of at the international level, you know, avoiding war, right? Yeah. Uh, being, again, not the height of cooperation, perhaps, but a baseline there, right? So those are, I think, goods that, those, that makes good sense to me. What do you think, Joe? It sounds like we're talking about uh, organizations like uh, the UN and NATO as the sort of Leviathan between countries, right? <laughs> to, 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 well, the minute uh, you cast that as a breaks on the war of all against all, you, you the minute you cast it as a Leviathan, you've cast it in a, you know, obviously Hobbesian negative uh-huh. light, which, you know, is fine. I don't, I'm not, <laughs> you could defend that view, but I don't think that's the way Francis sees it. Well, I would say, Joe, you know, uh, large scale cooperation to avoid war is not Hobbesian. Uh, right. Uh, well, what's, what, what's the Hobbesian solution is coercion. Right. The, it sounds like the the preface, though, is sort of Hobbesian that without such organizations, we tend towards conflict. That we we have sort of, sort of disposition that requires a solution, namely international mm. organization, not some just sort. Mm. not just two countries making a deal, but that there's got to be some maybe global organization to which they all belong. Well, let's remember that from a Catholic perspective, and this is an important point. You asked about mm. the goods of such things. From a Catholic perspective, um, the you know, there's one universal king, and that is Jesus Christ, right? And so the ideal thing is for all of humanity, ultimately, to be um, hierarchically ordered toward that universal king. And that would tend to mean, at least, no, how do I put this? Um, One possible hypothesis here, right? is that um, robust international organization um, is a uh, a way of facilitating the lordship of Jesus Christ, right? Making that sort of happen in the way we've structured structured, um, government in the world. So Um, like Christendom, the Holy Roman Empire. yeah. Yeah. Right. Now the Benedict XVI actually wrote an encyclical. I forgot which what he what the encyclical was. He only wrote a few encyclicals, right? But one of them was it, it just I mean it, it's not really going to be remembered historically. It's not a, but it was about this issue. Mm-hmm. Um and I think it won't be remembered historically because again it it sort of it focuses on one hypothesis about how the universal lordship of Jesus Christ uh, interacts with international organization. And, um, and, you know, you can't sort of dogmatize that, but it's, it's a hypothesis that could be articulated, defended. Do we need robust treaty organizations? What, what is cyclical uh, are you talking about, Rich? You never said. Yeah. I said, I, I don't remember the name of it. I, I oh, can okay. look it up here, but, um, but the, um, 
you know, we remember um, Deus Caritas asked, mm-hmm. you know, and Space Salvi. It was the one on politics. Um, and um, oh, right. I remember. Do you remember that? Like, nobody yeah, yeah, really yeah. read it. But <laughs> I read it. it was like, oh. No, I read it too. But it was <laughs> nothing, like no one talks yeah. about it. You never, you never. Uh, I know exactly what you're talking about, but I can't. For some reason, it's right at the tip of my tongue. Yeah, right. Say it, but it um. So uh, I think you know. Uh, um. This is good. If I remember correctly, Joe, didn't you say that that uh, the metaphor he uses is something like bridges and roots? Yeah, in his in his general audience uh, believes is at Budapest. He he presents us with two images. Uh, so the first is one of roots, and the second is one of bridges. And his, mm-hmm. in his discussion about uh, roots, he talks a lot about the Catholic culture that mm-hmm. is strong in Hungary. Um, that's who they are. Right, or that's who he at least wants them to be—the mm-hmm. strong Catholic country. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's trying to balance that with this other image of bridges, where mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a little—I'm not sure exactly what he means. Um, bridges for tomorrow, he says. He's he wants, of course, there to be some interaction between the Catholic culture and Hungary and what's around it, uh, presumably in such a way that does not vitiate the Catholic culture that's in Hungary. Right. Um, And in that discussion, he's concerned about things like the sustainable future of, uh, you know, in an ecological sense, right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And things like that. So um, he. Yeah, I mean, he's he's clearly seen value to having an identity, especially a Catholic identity, at least. I think Mm -hmm. um, maybe he'd be almost surely he'd be critical of other identities, which are, you know, evil. Um, And then he wants there to be international cooperation. And I, and again, I presume that it's in such a way that doesn't destroy this national identity. The root yeah. Is, yeah. Seriously, he's affirming both as good, right? Right. Uh, and desirable. But the, uh, the thing is that since it's two separate ends here, they're not ordered necessarily to one another. At least they're, they're not open, having bridges into other countries mm-hmm. and engaging other cultures. Um, if one wants to maintain one's local Catholic identity, there has to be limits, it seems to me, of course. set sure. on the bridges, right? Sure. Yeah. Sure. Uh, what those limits are isn't clear from the general address. It's not. Fair. You might also you might also cut it the other way too. If you want to be open, there's some right. You know, limits you have to put it on rudeness. I mean, you could. I mean, if we expand the metaphor, you could imagine a rudeness that's so strong that you can't move. Right. Like right. literally, like, you know, uh, at all. Right. Uh, to sort of engage with others or something like that. It, you know, the 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 way that that he's describing this reminds me very much actually of some of the documentation that uh, some of the teaching and ideas that were promulgated um, by the um, by the 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 by the Vatican under Bennett the 15th, right? Not mm-hmm. 16th, but 15th, which actually addressed some of these matters in terms of the self-determination of peoples, which was a popular sort of point of discussion in early 20th century 
pre-World War One, post-World War One, European, uh, Europe, right? And sort of European and the settlement after World War One. And one of the things that that the that the Vatican stressed in the settlement after World War One was both of these the idea, right, of Europe. So this is very much kind of looking at Europe, but Europe as uh, a place of both, right, uh, the integrity and independence of peoples. And there we have peoples, I think, defined in a pretty straightforward philosophical way, right? That is um, the Hungarians, right? You know, um, uh, and then, but then also part of uh, a larger uh, sort of cooperative uh, family of nations. In fact, that term is uh, very, uh, Benedict XV is very fond of that term. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, and, you know, if you really think about it in terms of international law and the development of international law, this very much is you know, within the mainstream of Catholic thought, right? That is that, you know, natural law provides a basis for laws between nations, right? Yeah. And then there's this kind of specialized part of natural law that particularly governs uh, the uh, relations between nations, um, you know, in which you sort of see, uh, you know, I think a, a balance of these things. One area that I'm interested in, I know you're interested in this too, Joe, is thinking about the common good of the human race, right, yeah. as something that comes up in ethics, right? And it's it's kind of like one of those parts about that we can kind of just kind of drops out of the discussion a lot, you know, but it's actually, you know, it features in any number of arguments uh, in medieval philosophy, certainly in, in, in Thomas, but not exclusively by any stretch. Yeah. And, and it's, it's interesting, you know, like, I think that that's a concept that maybe is applicable to these sorts of issues. Albeit Thomas has this really interesting other theme that sort of balances that, which is uh, the order, the order of charity, mm-hmm. uh, or we could say, you know, the order of love, which is actually a little different than you might suspect, right? That is the that really, you know, the you're to love your own family first, but not exclusively. Yeah. Right. And that 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 see that movie I just did there first, but not exclusively. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's really hard for us to do for some reason. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But I think that's kind of actually the key move in a lot of this. That would be, I would say, Joe, my interpretation to your concern about a rootedness that's open, but not so open that the rootedness doesn't end. I would say, right. you know, the king of Hungary has an obligation to Hungary first, but not exclusively. Yeah, but- I think if it's done rightly and uh, well, the Hungarian people, even precisely as rooted Catholics, uh, benefit from bridges being built like that's sure. that's the way it has to be right like mm-hmm. the sort of bridges we build are the ones that are good for hungary to build mm-hmm. right not the ones that are bad so like uh <laughs> well i mean think about the, the image of a bridge right it's a yeah. narrow passageway yeah right a narrow passageway across a barrier and it opens up on the other side into a very broad horizon mm-hmm. so um there's a lot of Hungary on the other side of that bridge, right? It's not as if a, a bridge isn't really the same thing as say, um, I'll, I'll touch the third rail here for a second, um, an open border, right? Mm. Um, if you think about, if you think about Correct. a wide open, totally unpoliced border, 
mm-hmm. um, y- you've erased the you've erased any sort of um, identity on on either side of it. Right. Yeah. yeah right. Sure. Um, so. So, yeah, the image of a bridge is actually a pretty a pretty good one. And I think. Yeah. Um, so I, I think this idea of. Um, uh, how can I put it? Um, well. What, Ben, when you were talking about the, um, you know, the way people thought in the Middle Ages and what was of concern to Benedict the Fifteenth, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I would say that much of that does resemble what I think Francis is actually saying. Okay. Um, I'm hesitant to say that I know that's what he's thinking because, you know, I just, I, I don't find that he uses words very consistently all the time right so i i'm I'm sort of left to Mm -hmm. guess at his definitions but um but i do when i try to put the pieces together from Mm -hmm. the various things that he said i do think Mm -hmm. that that's what he's concerned about sure well and maybe even prescinding from exactly you know francis here uh you know francis is you know obviously you know participating in a larger sort of tradition and conversation uh and leading that conversation of course uh, uh in a lot of ways um that, you know that certainly is the the that sort of interpretation of family of nations you know uh so forth is kind of a mainstream part of the mainstream catholic tradition and and thinking about right the, this sort of thing right yeah where you have we have both the reality of independent nations right but also uh, a larger uh sort of uh cooperation under natural law slash international yeah i, I want right? to let's think about this natural law thing because i think this is an area where lots of people in the liberal tradition maybe don't have um a great way to understand this um i'm not saying that natural law is intrinsically antithetical to the liberal tradition but as we if mm-hmm. you look at sort of american conservatives um you, you sometimes think that they have an idea that laws stop at national boundaries and sure. right. And there, there's no, there's nothing but force and pressure that holds one nation accountable to, uh, to others. Uh-huh. Um, but if you have an understanding of the natural law, right, where there's this law that applies, it comes from God who designs the universe and mm-hmm. all human beings are accountable to it that in itself is going to um, constrain what certain nations can do, right? You can't just do anything. You can't do whatever you want. And so it does form a basis for, uh, for international law. What do you, what do you mean constrain exactly? Because what, what it it seems to me that uh, yeah, the natural law uh, suggests that there's an inclination that these different nations have towards certain goods that they will agree on. Uh, But the constraint is really that when they break the natural law uh, and say uh, aggressively invade and enslave their neighbor, uh, force and just war is the way in which that that nation is put into. No, check. I mean morally. The containment constrained. does seem to fall back towards force. Yeah, no, I'm I'm saying it, it constrains morally. Okay. You have the idea that there there are certain cor- there are certain courses of action that you ought not to you ought not to take, not just because of the consequences that will come to you when someone wages war against you. Right. But you just, know it's not good for you to do that evil thing, which um, 
is unjust to your your neighbor. Yeah, you just don't do those things. Right. Uh, albeit, I do want to say, Joe, that uh, that uh, using the natural law uh, and violations of the natural law to, uh, or that part of the natural law that applies to international relations, right? Um, as a as as um, a basis for um, military intervention seems to me to also be consistent. I mean, I think what Rich is saying is what's more important. But uh, just like we would say, you know, within the polis, you know, it's better for the man to obey the law because he sees it as good. Uh, but that said, we still going to have police. <laughs> right. Right. You know? I, yeah. Uh, I just wanted to understand what we meant by constraints. So, gotcha. Gotcha. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, with evil nations, I'd say it's kind of like with the evil man. Right. Like, yeah, it might be the case with the evil nation that the moral constraints not sufficient. Right. Right. That's why we have militaries, unfortunately. Right. Exactly. Know, sort of, but then yeah. but then those who wage war under those circumstances, uh, under those circumstances can know that they do so justly. Correct. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think that's it. That's important. So uh, if I, uh, you were going to say something earlier, Joe, about David Toria. Um, so it's actually, yeah, to the to the point on natural law and the natural human good and international relationships um, <clears throat> and to the bridges point. Right. The, the bridges are really interesting because they, first of all, highlight that there is a boundary which distinguishes um, mm -hmm. what is on one side and what's on the other but it allows for intermingling between the two sides. Um, the intermingling, uh, as I said before, is one of the things that we would, I think, need to define what the limit is, uh, lest you lose the rootedness of your own identity sure. and especially your own Catholic identity. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, so David Torrio, uh, he talks about the universal right, though he qualifies it, all right? So talks about the universal right to travel, trade, and sojourn in foreign lands. And the context is actually that, um, well, it's, first he talks about it among Europeans, but he's interested, or the, the question of the day is whether the Spaniards can then, uh, can, can sort of enter into the territory of Native Americans. And he wants to defend the right of the Spaniard to travel, trade, and sojourn in Native American territories and lands, which they really own, that he argues. Um, but he always qualifies this. You mm -hmm. travel, trade, and sojourn uh, when it does no harm. So um, I, the harm, I think, is what we want to try to articulate there. Sure. Um, when we are building bridges, I think it is possible to build too many or to sure. build the wrong ones. Sure. Right. Or to allow the wrong person to cross that bridge. Exactly. Yeah. Sure. yeah. I mean, that happens. I mean, uh, if I, uh, you know, the, uh, obviously you could, you know, let a, a criminal, you know, into your country, you know, something of that nature. And, you know, that would obviously be harmful, you know, international drug cartels, all that sort of thing, you know, um, the, you know, there you would want to, uh, of course, curb it, uh, but also maybe even, a little bit more um or, or maybe not as obvious right would also be say uh this is an analogy but um the unwanted overlong guest <laughs> um, yeah. so let's take this as an analogy here i grew up in a time when it was still cool for you to just run across you know around the neighborhood knock on doors of your friends 
and like, hey, can Jimmy play? Yeah, Jimmy can play, you know, that kind of thing, right? And sometimes you might stay over for dinner at Jimmy's, right? Like the parents are like, oh, you guys are playing, why don't you, you know, you want to stay over, you know, for dinner, right? Uh, that kind of thing, right? So that's all well and good and wonderful, right? It's a great way to li- live and grow up, right, in the neighborhood. Uh, however, like, there's limits to that, right? <laughs> like, when you start just walking in the door without knocking, for example, right? Oh. Showing up at all times, <clears throat> right? Such that the family is disur- disturbed, right? And it's move your uh, stuff in. Yeah, yeah. So you start <laughs> sleeping on the couch, right? <laughs> without permission, right? At some point, you're like, this isn't cool because actually, even though I kind of like you, you're corrupting our family life, right? You're disturbing it. It's no longer efficient. It doesn't feel safe, you know, et cetera, right? Um, do, do you follow kind of what I'm saying here? So that sort of person, I think you're 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 entitled to say at some point, you know, hey, you have to remove yourself uh, because you're undermining our our flourishing as a family. Um, yeah. And I think you could probably say something similar, right? Uh, about maybe you know less obvious examples than just say criminals. You know. Yeah, the that 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 concern um, has to be balanced with. Uh, David Torrey's argument, which is very Thomistic, that uh, the innocent man is a, you know, he's a, he's a principal part of the common good. Uh, and so the sort of default is that another, another good man has crossed the border. That's mm-hmm. good, right? Um, he's going to contribute and in some way build the mm-hmm. community unless there's something wrong. Yeah, I think right. though you have to. I mean, yes, uh, yes, but no. <laughs> the, uh, uh, I mean, in the concrete, right? Um, you can't just assume that it's a good uh, because you might not have a job for him. You might not have, uh, you know, right. a place for unless him. there's something wrong, right? Right. So, like, there's the limitation of material, which impinges quite a bit. Yeah, I'm just saying that you know. You can't really presume, I think, in the other direction. Um, yeah, that's so why we have the about, right to control our doors and to control our borders, right? Well, yeah, yeah, but way... for a for a country, I would argue that if if they're if you're actually in a position uh, where material resources are so limited that immigration has to be like totally shut down, well, there's shut not down, enough food just, for the people here, just right? regulated. Well, what I mean is. Um, something's gone deeply wrong if the concern is over uh, material resources present in the community. It doesn't have to be deeply wrong. I mean, if somebody comes in the country and we don't know they're here, that imply, you know, that affects the economy, right? Affects distribution of goods, you know, right? uh, affects inflation. Well, uh, it affects also like labor, uh, labor supply, um, et cetera. So it makes it difficult to manage your own, economy yeah i mean well i don't think we're talking about uh clandestine people okay uh, that's why i said regulate right so yeah this allows then the 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 prince right to say you know right now labor markets are really flabby wages are falling uh etc we just don't want we just can't you know it's not going to be beneficial to the common good of the state to you know increase the supply of labor uh yeah. at this time so even though you're a nice guy and we love you right <laughs> um you know we're, we're just not gonna let you in today yeah 
so I think that, you know, in much of Catholic discourse today, when we have these discussions, you know, we're kind of remembering that that part of De Vittoria's um, view where, you know, the the good man is the good man contributes to the common good um, by nature. Right. And people have a right to sojourn in other countries. But we forget about that other part unless there's something wrong. Right. We forget about the limitations that have to be imposed. Um, so we're taking like half the half the equation, right? Not yeah. the other half. Um, so, you know, the presumption is made that nothing's wrong. The presumption is made that there's plenty on the other side of the border, right? There's always enough resources, um, always enough housing, always enough jobs. Um, and that just isn't actually true. Right. Yeah. I mean, it um, should, it, it, ideally... I do think that something has gone wrong if your if your labor market or your economy is so poor that you really do have to shut down all international. It doesn't have to be so poor. I mean, I just disagree with you on the economics of it. I think, uh, Joe, but you you know, the to support a family wage, to support uh, to have an economy in which you you know have a robust living wage uh, doesn't mean that you 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 know it requires careful. Uh, management just like uh, your household economy of course requires careful management and yeah. and it's and it's not something's gone drastically wrong it just means that you have to you know say no to some things you know i'm not i, I don't have to be broke to say I, i'm not going to take a trip to europe just taking a trip to europe is just not in the budget so you're you're viewing the uh, good immigrant as a luxury that the uh, state can take on when it's doing really well I say it's, it could take on when it's doing well, when it's doing well enough, you know, whatever. But the the, the first duty of the prince is to the common good of his state. Well, I would, so, I, would, I would just think complicate a little bit and suggest that the immigrants sometimes has something to contribute that could even of course, for of the course. economy, right? And that has to be uh, taken into consideration. They're not always a cost. That's true. Right? That's they true. can be a cost, and certain of certain mm. certain immigrants are are just a cost. Mm. Um, but many of them could be exactly what you need at a certain time. Like, we, could, yeah, they could be all of which to goes to right. it's the job of the prince to decide, right? Uh, right, yeah. and and uh, uh, decide for the sake of the common good of of his own polis. Now that said, I do think obviously there are times where and this would kind of push on the side of, uh, well, is it really good for Hungary? Right? Uh, right. I do think that there are. It might be morally good. Right. In some cases, uh, albeit not good in other ways. Right. So we can think about, um, you know, sacrificing some bona mutile, Right. For the sake of taking in those who have no other means. Right. Uh, you know, the the you know, the true refugee. Right. Kind of situation. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, in which case, it's morally good for your country. Obviously, you wouldn't want to bankrupt your country by taking in refugees. That would be another thing. But you might go out of your way to take in refugees. Who have no discernible skills, no discernible education level, etc. As countries do sometimes, right? And it's good for them to do so uh, because it's good, you know, it goes to their their justice and so forth. Um, but obviously, even there, there would still be limits. You might just you might join in a war uh, that uh, punishes a wicked doer, uh, albeit you know that's going to come with cost, right? But it might be morally good. Um, the uh, um, but there, I think the where you're going to see the balance, and I think this is what's really interesting in the scholastic discussion of this, 
is the common good of the human race again, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And the common good of the polis. Um, and I think those are those are interesting to compare to each other. I think there's a tendency in Catholic thought to think that the common good of the human race is like a really big global political common good, right? Yeah. I don't think that's true right. uh, in Thomas. I don't think that the the that the the that the common good of the species is a political good, actually. Uh, albeit politics can contribute to it, right? Uh, a, you know, uh, a good international uh, you know, relations can contribute to it. And, and it's, it's basic level. And this is really interesting. When it, you know, this premise gets used in all sorts of arguments in sexual, sexual ethics, right? Um, is the one of the things that's good about, uh, pro, uh, about um, we'll say, traditional sexual relationships right is what's 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 the 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 central good in scholastic thought procreation yeah and why is that good we need a future it's yeah it's we need a future it's good for the species yeah yeah i mean it's really i mean that it's good for the species is a premise in so many medieval arguments right and again not just thomist i mean across the board it's good for the species is a vote Right as, as as one premise, you could use others, of course, yeah. but as one line of argumentation. And I think about this when we think about, um, you know, like let's say I was the prince, and the only way to save my country was to destroy the human race. Well, I, there I might, you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> say there's something bigger. But anyways, uh-huh. the point being that that. Uh, the uh that does play a role there um as in, like that's the baseline good of the species right is the perpetuation of the species um but anyway there's a few really good things there i'd like to touch on uh the first, you made a, an offhand remark at the beginning which i thought was really significant about the lack of skills that the mm-hmm. immigrant might have and i think that's actually uh a problem that's at least acerbated, if not unique to the modern world, and especially modern developed countries where mm-hmm. low-skill labor is just not as important. And you would have, mm-hmm. low-skill labor would have been almost intrinsically valuable up until the age of machines. Labor-intensive uh, agriculture, sure. Right. Yep. Uh, so that, it has changed some since David Toria. There's more to consider. Um, but then in terms of the relationship between the the individual good, the political common good, and this good of the species. Uh, I think I agree with you. I'm thinking like, what's well, good for the part of the community uh, to be willing to sacrifice itself for the good of the whole. But I think it'd be disordered for like a country to sacrifice itself for uh, the good of the whole. And the reason, like, mm-hmm. this, this may seem counterintuitive, but you may think like, oh, well, the good of the species is just a better good. But I'm wondering if the good of the human species isn't precisely realized in various uh, states, right? I think it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's not something that exists in the out in the ether, right? right? But that yeah. it's found and possessed mm-hmm. precisely in political integration. So this, yeah, this goes to Benedict the Fifteenth social thought, right? Um, where he talks about this. Now, I don't pretend to have, by the way, Joe, this whole good of the species thing worked out. Yeah. all fully right this is stuff i'm thinking about um but he says exactly that and the parallel is the parts of the political community right that is that the political community doesn't subsume uh parenting right mm-hmm. it doesn't subsume like uh gardening 
it's actually for the political common good that these parts function in themselves, right? Similarly, I think it's for the common good of the species to have many different nations, right? Different uh, nations, yeah. Yeah, and 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 for those nations to be the concrete place where the virtuous life is, is played out. One element of, of this, this er, earlier kind of political uh, international thought is the idea that it's actually good that there's a plurality of cultures and nations, right? Uh, uh, along the lines of the, you know, sort of the, the goodness of God has made manifest in the plurality, right, of, of goods in the universe, right? Um, even, albeit, you know, why don't just create man because man's the greatest thing? Well, because it's, it's all things considered, it's better to also have, you know, cedar trees and uh, dolphins and badgers, right? Uh, that makes the world, act, it's actually a greater manifestation than just a human, right? Uh, albeit human is the highest uh, manifestation. Uh, does that make sense? It, it does. I'm, I'm wondering if, are you arguing that every culture is good? And let me explain. Like, I, don't, um, I don't think, I don't think that's a valid inference. <laughs> Go ahead, okay. Okay. Well, I just, I want to get it. I'm trying to get him to make a commitment here. Uh, uh, so there's, um, there's certainly value to certain diversity of cultures because they're going to be better situated to certain geographical and political contexts, right? It doesn't make a lot of sense to take a tribe from the tropics and drop them in the desert and expect them to thrive without undergoing serious alterations. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but there's also like Aztec culture was pretty awful. Sure. Right. And um, well, <laughs> I don't know. How do you, how do you want to deal with that? I would just sort of uh, just as I would thinking about individual men and individual lives, that or is, is a way that's similar there's a wide spectrum that's legitimate uh yeah. and and diverse right yeah so you can be a you know uh, a good carpenter you can be a good intellectual there's probably good yankees um <laughs> you know there <laughs> you can be a good southerner right uh all, you know all those sorts of things there uh, uh you know are all you could be good in many different ways right? yeah obviously there's limits to that right you know so one of those ways is not being a good thief right right <laughs> because being a thief and being good are not you know so culture is measured by natural law ultimately yes of yeah. course yeah yeah right i think uh and i think there's where you you run into so i'm very fond of thinking about the historical concreteness of these things right and i think that's a part that sometimes gets neglected in contemporary natural law discussions because there's such a desire to sort of you know because what well, oftentimes people are attracted to natural law discussion myself included right uh because we want some universal objective standard right and and there is a universal objective standard i would say right but i also always want to you know sort of there's also it's mediated right to a concrete situation and i think that that mediation actually is very important uh for a whole variety of reasons uh, but then you always have to click back to, but there's uh, still a universal standard, right? Uh, and so, albeit, I would say a good French, a good, a good subject of the French king will do things that are very, that are quite distinct than a good 21st century American, right? Um, their lives and their, their thoughts about politics uh, and so forth are going to be quite different, but hopefully still both good. Rich, did you want to jump in there with some, uh, I said a lot there. Sorry. Well, so, you know, I'm thinking, returning this idea of the good and the, the goods and the evils, right? 
of these different um these different poles right mm-hmm. um you know we think we talk about um human trafficking right as a major problem mm-hmm. uh and it is and um you know two things come to mind right on the one hand if you do have some robust uh international law then you have a way of policing um human trafficking before the you actually cross the border into somebody's country mm-hmm. um and th- that's a that's a good i mean that's a good thing right to be able mm-hmm. to do that mm-hmm. um on the other hand if you erase your borders right if if suddenly if there aren't bridges but just open just wide open borders then you mm-hmm. you've undermined any capacity to to deal with that and in fact you encourage human trafficking and and all sorts sure. of other yeah things. that's a good point yeah i mean because concretely right nation states are going to be the ones who are the most effective right at actually policing these matters right? yeah um not always but at least for the most part right um it, it does seem to require some sort of international agreement right like sure. uh you think about the cartels and what they're able to get away with in mexico mm-hmm. um and uh the Mexican government's either unable or unwilling to, to, to put a stop to it. Sure. Um, and if, if a country is altogether unconcerned, right. With something like a cartel on their border leeching off of Southern California, um, mm-hmm. then, uh, well, that's bad. That's bad for our country, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's sure. bad for Southern California. So it does seem to require it, but something that's been lingering on my mind here is, when we enter into these international treaty organizations, we uh, find ourselves in the sort of problems of political typology. Usually it ends up being something democratic, right? And uh, that comes with all the attendant problems of democracy in the polis, where you might end up with the people who have the right ideas just not being the majority. And Mm. then you get global policies that are bad to be involved in sure right and that it seems like a there's got to be a way to solve the problems that can only really be solved through international cooperation without integrating these countries in such a way that the tyranny of the majority Mm. uh, comes to weigh down on the good roots of a country like hungary Sure. Right. You notice Eastern, that there, Eastern Europe yeah. is deeply concerned about that. In, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And countries that have withdrawn from those organizations make exactly those kinds of arguments, right? Yeah. They, mm-hmm. That's those are the reasons because they've mm-hmm. crushed their own national identity and they've, yeah. uh, they've worked it, against their national interests. It seems to me, uh, specifically with the EU, right? Uh-huh. I think the EU is an experiment. I also think the EU is going to fail. I think it's going to go away. That's my prediction. That's a you know empirical claim, not a philosophical one. But um, the um, in any event, I think a lot of the discontent there is because that ended up being more than just a uh, alliance, right? They kind of wanted to make the EU a quasi state, right, mm-hmm. or a federation of states, right? Um, and I don't think that's going to work. Uh, now, is that always wrong? Is it impossible for a collection of political entities to decide become a federated union? 
I don't necessarily think so, but you need to know what you're doing, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. You need to understand we're becoming not just an alliance, right? But a, 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 a federated union, which makes you a new polis than right. with regional parts, right? Now, those parts might be relatively stronger or weaker, depending on the political traditions of that particular regime and, the, and those groups, you know, those, uh, those countries or former countries. But you do have to be aware of it. And I think the EU kind of tried to play it between, like, well, no, we're not really a nation. We're kind of a nation state. We're not really a nation, you know. And I think when you're giving up your, you know, the, the to, to join the EU, you had to give up a good bit of what used to be called sovereignty, right, under, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, older theories. The uh, one interesting thing is Aerosol does mention the alliance, right, as a form of unity that's not political, right, but a form of unity between political units. Uh, and one of the things is that it's uh, that the alliances are based on the idea of a particular good that is secured through the cooperation of multiple polices or poli. Anyways, political communities. Um, does that make sense? So let's yes. say trade in a particular, you know, say the trade uh, routes, right? Where you think about uh, the trade uh, for pottery and grain, right? Uh, that was a big part of the Aegean economy, right? Um, the um, that was that's an that's an alliance structure for a particular good, right? That doesn't mean that the the people up in, around the uh, Black Sea area, right, and all that were. Uh, we're becoming a, a polis with the Athenians, right? Uh, but they there was a particular good, namely pottery, that they wanted to exchange for a particular good of wheat. So what's so the difference? Um, oh, go, sorry, go ahead. Well, do you have something to say about this in response to this? Well, I was going to ask what the, what the clear difference is then between uh, European Union nations coming together and, and forming some sort of legislation See, I think when you start legislating for laws that impinge on France and the Netherlands and Hungary, then you're you're doing something that begins to undermine their political, you know, independence. Right? So it, Athens and and its trading partners in the Black Sea, right, didn't do anything that um, legislated uh, with respect to domestic politics. So it would have to be some sort of agreement, which it doesn't bind behavior internally, but only on a internally and only on a particular matter. I mean, you think about most international treaties; they don't cover everything, right? right? You know, they cover specific, you know, use of a particular waterway or something. Yeah, right, right. Which were you going to say? So, um, you know, we when we talk about questions like immigration, which is related to this idea, we usually consider it from the perspective of of the uh, receiving nations. And I, I guess I want to I think that part of the equation here that we don't sufficiently address is um, the sending nations. Right. Mm-hmm. If you want to put it that way, um, where are the people coming from and why? Mm-hmm. And. You know, it seems to me that you have different you have different problems, right? There are different mm-hmm. issues here, and the natural law uh, as a basis for international law um, has something to do with this, right? Mm-hmm. So let's say that you have a natural disaster, um, 
and people have to flee where they live because of that. Now the mm-hmm. host, now the the home nation has become uninhabitable for a for for a, a huge number of people, and there aren't sufficient resources to support them, so they have mm-hmm. nothing to do but leave. Well, that does seem to me to be a problem that kind of impinges in one way or another upon other countries. Um, mm-hmm. The now, what solution exactly? is there i don't know but should we at least open our eyes and say okay people are fleeing because they're starving to death because they're homeless they have no place to go i guess the analogy would be like the corruption of one of your neighbor one of your neighbors right if someone's house burned down Mm -hmm. uh it might occur to me that i should consider whether i have room in my house to let them sleep or something right Sure. You also might think they'll like say the uh, well, I had in mind was something like say one of your neighbors becomes a drug addict, right? And you know begins to have lots of other drug addicts over to his house and parties at night, and you know attracts a criminal element into your neighborhood because of his drug addiction. You right? also now that, but that's a different issue. That's okay. okay. There's the other thing I wanted to say was the um, was the corruption factor, right? Okay. So a natural disaster that's no one's fault. Okay, that, and I think that's kind of an important thing to to consider. Your country got hit by a meteorite. I mean, nobody could, whatever, you know. Um, but when you have political corruption, mm-hmm. uh, and and that's the reason that your mm-hmm. that's the reason that your country is uh, is uninhabitable, right? It's no place. It's no place for someone to live. Um. That's a different issue. Now, as far as the individual fleeing is concerned, it may be the same situation for him at a concrete level. But as far as what the proper response is from other nations, it seems to me that there's a different, there's something different going on. Hmm. Um, I, I think the distinction we made before matters a lot here. We were talking about how being a member of a political community is very different than a, a state being a member of the international community. Um, the sort of responsibilities I have and, and uh, toward my neighbor down the street, whether he's a drug addict or his house burned down, just seem to be very different than the sort of responsibilities that nations have to one another. Not to mm. say that there are none, sure, but they're measured by a different good. There's, sure. a, there's a political whole of which I am a part when I'm considering mm. my neighbor down the street, but there is no political whole. Of which no, there's not a political a hole, but there is a natural hole. There's the there's humanity. Yeah, but it, I think it's different. So I, I think that when a state is considering the good of the human race, if the good of the human race is actually realized in the separate polises, political communities, right? <laughs> um, then uh, it's different. Like I could conceivably, at least I'd have to work this out, but conceivably you could turn away somebody who's fleeing a bad situation precisely because they would harm the good of the, the human species as it is realized in your own political community. Yes, but you could do that in your home too, right? So if, if my neighbor's house sure. burns down, I, I can yeah, imagine yeah. situations in which I'm not the person who can let him in. Yeah, I think y'all are agreeing on that point. Okay. I think the, the larger issue is what both to your neighbor, right, and to then this uh, within the polis, we can see a strong sort of level of analogies, right? And strong level of obligations, right? 
your obligations, I think, I think what Joe is arguing is your obligations with respect to the to Ecuador, right? Are of a different kind and lesser, right? And I think you would probably agree, Rich. Is that correct? Yeah, well, that's similar to my thinking of my my personal obligations to someone who lives in a different city in comparison to someone who lives in the same city. I mean, that's I, I mean, the analogy here isn't perfect, right? But but what I'm saying is as human beings, we're supposed to care whether, you know, whether massive segments of the human population have been um, displaced due to forces outside of their control. We're supposed to care. And we're supposed to at least put some thought into what might be done for that. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to be the one to do it, right? It doesn't necessarily mean that my country is going to be the one to receive all these people, but it does mean that we should put some thought into what can be done to keep these people from just perishing. Um, that to me seems kind of like normal. Now, the reason I make the distinction between, say, a natural disaster on the one hand and the corruption of a regime on the other is that the, the, there's a solution to the corruption of a regime, right? A worst case scenario is you have to wage war against them. Mm -hmm. And it does seem to me that in the past, if I'm not mistaken, right, in the Middle Ages, um, it was considered justification for war to um, to basically get other political communities to do for their people what they will not do for themselves. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you look, I mean, there's there are various uh, obviously interpretations of this just war, you know, theory. Uh, that is a broader interpretation, right? And there, the emphasis is on both. Uh, is on the human good of, uh, is is on the common good of the species, right? Um, mm. Also, you know, war as punishment, <laughs> which we don't actually think about too often. That's actually a big part of the literature, right? Mm. Is that the prince is a punisher uh, when he wages a just war, right? Uh, and I used to really hate this idea, <laughs> to be honest, mm. right? Because <laughs> I'm kind of an anti-interventionist <laughs> in a lot uh. of ways. But I think the theoretical basis for interventionism is there. Uh, now, that's a different question from whether it's wise, right? right. Uh, or prudent mm -hmm. in this or that situation. But um, I think there is a theoretical basis for uh, interventionism. Um, and when, it, when when you throw it into, okay, well, uh, humanitarian intervention, that sounds different than, you know, uh, just war. I mean, but rhetoric, I mean, maybe a rhetorical difference. But, you know, in fact, what you're doing is waging war on an evil prince. Right. I think when it comes to interventionism or even just international assistance, I, I think we need to be able to anchor this decision back in perhaps the good of the human species, but as realized in my particular state, like mm -hmm. it's the United States benefits greatly because Canada is is not like a threat, <laughs> right? Just, they're, yeah, they're, sure. They could be better, yeah. <laughs> but they're, sure. they're productive and peaceful. Right, uh -huh. which is about all you can really ask for in a neighbor, but and, and we would be it would be a lot better for us if you know the entire uh, Central American like region was just really developed and really peaceful and really productive. Like that would sure. that would only be good for the United States. Sure. Um, and I think there's a way in which certain acts of assistance or even intervention could be anchored back in that, but it it wouldn't it wouldn't be because. 
uh, the United States as part of some greater whole has to subordinate its good to the good of the species, but rather that the good of the species that the, the United States is working for is the good of the species as realized in the United States, which is better realized when the other states around the United States are peaceful and productive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's the way I'd like to. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's uh, consistent with the way you think about ethics, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've had that kind of discussion for a while. Uh, that's a good point. I think one for further uh, uh, exploration, um, you know, and certainly I mean, I, I I certainly sympathize with that view to up to a point. I'm, I'm not sure if I disagree or not totally. As I say, I haven't worked out everything I think about uh, the common good of the species um, and how that uh, obtains. Uh, because the because you'd also at some point have to bring in, and this, of course, would just kind of radicalize the whole issue, uh, the, the external common good of the universe, right? Yeah. Uh, which is God. <laughs> Right. Uh, and, and and then you might have to think some other things or at least it would take some additional thoughts, uh, I think, to address the question. But, uh, Rich, we, we started out with you. I think we, we've gone along. There's a lot of good topics here, a lot more to think about. Rich, do you want to, to sum up for us? Uh, you know, any final? Well, thoughts? so we started by talking about um, Francis and his mm -hmm. remarks in Hungary and how they fit into kind of deciphering his mind on these questions. Mm -hmm. And um, I come back to the point that I made earlier, which is that I think that the way Francis is using certain terminology is simply not the same mm -hmm. as the way that terminology is being used in um, political discourse by other participants in the conversation. Sure. sure. And the result is that we're really not having one conversation. We're not really talking about the same thing at all. Okay. Um, so when you hear, when when you see what's going on in um, uh, in the Netherlands, right? Um, the Dutch farmers and all that. Uh, you see what's going on in Italy um, and in parts of, you know, certain elements of politics in the United States. Um, that is nationalist populism, but I really don't think it's what Francis is talking about. Now, does, France, does Francis think that he's talking about that? I, I think sometimes he does but I simply don't agree with his finding of fact. Um, I just, it's important for us to know where the, uh, where the, you know, what the definition actually is. Mm -hmm. If you hear what he is saying, what his actual criticisms are, mm -hmm. then you ask yourself, well, does that align with what these people are saying about their own views? Mm -hmm. um, that, you just you have to listen to what they say about their own views, right? And do you sure. believe they're telling the truth or not? Sure. Um, and as far as the the globalism issue goes, um, so I think we could also take away that Francis does not hold a view that um, is completely uncritical of international treaty organizations. Um, he definitely has criticisms of them, and those mm -hmm. criticisms, very interestingly, do align. With many, with the criticisms of many nationalist populists. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's helpful, Rich. Well, thank uh, both of you for. I uh, appreciate both of you participating in the conversation. Obviously, this is something that's uh, uh, we've got a lot of things attached to it. There's a lot of intricacies to these discussions. Uh, I know thinking about international relationships in terms of natural law and kind of the Thomist 
you know, tradition, something I'm very interested in, I know Joe is as well. Um, I know, Joe, you're going to be doing, I think, some work on this in your, yeah, in, yeah. In your dissertation. Yeah, so. work on this, that's right. That's awesome. Uh, obviously, it's an area for, for development. So, uh, but anyways, yeah, so both, uh, thank you for a great conversation, guys. Uh, thank you to all of our listeners for hanging in there with us. If you've listened all the way to the end, uh, please remember to uh, hit that like button, share our content with others. Until next time, God bless.